This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. I hope that was a blessing to some of you all. Turn in your, in your Bibles. We're going to go to John chapter 17. And I'm continuing on the, uh, the flow of teachings um, on the assignment that we've been given, discussing the importance of being one in the move of God. The importance of being one in the move of God. And the focus of my teaching on tonight is the process of discipleship. The importance of being one in the move of God. And my focus is going to be on the process of discipleship. Amen. Now we know that unity is the express will of Christ for the body of believers. That his desire is that we are one, even as he is one with the Father. And if you're in John chapter 17, the passage that we've been reading from starts with verse 20. It says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And I love this. Jesus, is, he's a, these are, these are the, this, his prayers just before that. The, uh, the guards come to take him to be, um, to be scourged and to be tried before his crucifixion. And you would think that Jesus would be concerned about his own life, but he's on purpose. He is on purpose, even to the end. And his thoughts and his prayers are not only for his disciples, those that have followed after him, those that have witnessed his ministry from the baptism all the way into that, that, that they will see him being crucified. But he's also praying for those that will believe the words that those disciples have. And so he's also praying for us. Jesus, when he should have been, when he could have been concerned about himself, when he could have been concerned about his present situation, his thoughts were not only for those that were in, were in his immediate eyesight, where, that, that his love had been poured out to but his thoughts were all the way in the years and centuries to come. All the way down to here, to where we are. His thoughts were, all, were on us. He was thinking about us. And what I love is that he says that, that, that also them which believe on me through their word. And so we see that, that belief in Christ is, is only going to be through the Word. I love our, our confession. We say that, that, you know, that what this Bible says, although it may, it may seem hard, although it may seem challenging, but what it says I can do, I'm going to do that. What it says I can be, that I'm going to be that. That I'm not going to allow anything, I'm not going to allow any negative words, any contrary words from the evil one to turn me away from the truth of God's word. So we know that our unity, that it benefits the entire body. As we meet the needs of each other, our needs are also met. And I love the examples in scripture in the early church. Go to Acts chapter 2. 
something that we talk about quite a bit, about the early church and how they were all of, of one mind and, and in one accord. Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to start at verse 41, actually. And so, you know, I didn't get a chance to hear a message from this morning, but I did get a chance to see some of the notes. And, and, um, and this, this should flow right along with that teaching, that, that, that our fellowship, our union is in Christ alone. It's in the message that we have received and what we have believed. In verse 41 it says, Then they that gladly received his word, and this is when Peter is, uh, is declaring to the crowd on the day of Pentecost about the glory of Jesus Christ, about how he was the fulfillment of the promise of God. Then they gladly received his word. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking the bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. You know, I love this. It says that all that believed were together. There may have been some others that were around, but those that believed, they were the ones that were together and had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And so we see that in their, in their unity, based on belief in the testimony of Jesus Christ that was given to them by a man that they had all things in common, that they were able to meet the needs of one another, and that there was gladness and singleness of heart. Go to Philippians chapter 1. We're just talking about that unity. It benefits the entire body. Unity. It benefits the entire body. It's not to promote any human being or any ideology, but to, to, to magnify and to give glory to the Lord our God, to Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1, looking at verse 27, it says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come, to, come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast, in one spirit, that you're united with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know, a lot of times we th- when we think about unity, we think that, well, if we're all working together, then some of us can slack off. And it says here that, that, that we're all standing together with one mind, that we are striving together, that we're all working together, that we're pulling together. For the faith of the gospel. That we're all in this together. You know, where this comes from is all the way back in Exodus. Go to Exodus chapter 16. 
I think our modern society has, has, has corrupted this idea of unity in this, this mega church mentality that if, 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 if I go to a mega church and there's 2,000 people, then it really doesn't matter if I just come once a month. It really doesn't matter if I just tip in and tip out because, you know, there's a lot of people there that can shoulder the weight. That my contribution isn't really all that important. And so we try to, to hide in the crowd. But unity is all of us striving together for the faith. That there's, there's, there's no person that's insignificant. There's no, there's no member that's not needed. And this comes from when, when God, when he um, brought manna, when he rained down manna to feed the, uh, the children in the desert. And he gave them instructions on how to collect it and, and, and what they should do in order, how long they should keep it. So Exodus chapter 16, I'm going to start with verse 16. Start with verse 15. It says, And when the children of Israel saw it, they saw this bread coming from heaven. They said one to another, It is manna. For they wist not, because they did not understand what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. Verse 16, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, and omer for every man. According to the number of your persons, take ye every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so, and gathered some more and some less. And when they, did, when they didn't meet it, that means when they measured it out with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And so what this means is that, is that God made this provision available. And the people, they put their hands to the work of taking a hold of and seizing the provision that God had made available. You know, I love it that God, he, even though he rained down bread from heaven, he still required the people to go out and to gather it in. He never, he never lets you off the hook. God created us to work, to be co-laborers, to be fellow laborers together with him. And so there were some people that because of their strength, and because of their ability, they were able to gather much. And there were others that they were out there doing the work, but they could only bring in a little. But when it was measured out, when it was measured out, this is what we're talking about, the benefits of unity. That the blessings are for all of us. That the, the people, the person that had, the, that had gathered much, they didn't have anything over. And those that had gathered a little bit, they were not lacking anything. It was all evenly distributed. Each person had what it is that they required. Each person had what it was that they required. All that they needed to do was to put their hands to the work. I said in my teaching last time that when, when you think about submission and obedience to God, that your responsibility is only to do what the Lord has called you to do. That you're, you're not responsible that the results are not on you. If you obey the word of God and do what he has called you to do, the results are on God. It's not up to you to try and force a result. It's not up to you to try and, 
and, and, and see and look after and preserve your own self at the expense of others. No. He says, you give all. You give, you give all and lay your life down. And I'll see to it that you are provided for. I'll see to it that the generations that you couldn't even touch if you wanted to. You know, something about this, this passage of scripture that really spoke to me is that, that there were some that, that, that hadn't gotten the message yet. There were some that, that they tried to gather some of the manna and they tried to hoard some of the manna. And when they looked at it, it turned into worms and it stank. You know, some of us are trying to do things that we ought not to be doing. We're trying to, 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 to hoard and to keep the possessions that are not ours, that we're supposed to be stewards of. We're holding back our hands and not putting them to the work that God has called us to. And those things, you know, you think that you have that savings, but then when you go to look for it, you find it's turned into worms and it stinks. It's not even able to do what you thought it was going to be able to do. Like, I thought I had put that aside for my special, special. But now it's not even, what? The air conditioner is out. What I, what I thought I had set aside for me, that I held back from God, I can't even use for me. I can't even use for my own self. It's turned into worms. And so unity, it, it benefits the entire body. As we meet the needs of other, our needs are met. As we meet the needs of others, our needs are met. When we get into this teaching, what I want you all to get out of it is I want to show you through the scriptures a model for discipleship. I want to address how we move past, how you can move past your questions and your indecision. How you can learn to cleave, to listen, and to become effective in this dispensation. God has given us grace for only, for, for only a span of time. The grace is for the season that the grace is given. And when that season is over, that grace is no longer made available. And so now we must learn, now we must model discipleship. We have to move past our questions and our indecisions. We have to move past our hang-ups and those things that, that, that cause us to, to want to make sure that our flank is protected. The enemy that we're, that we're fighting is, is in front of us. There's no, you have no ability to try and watch your... You can't watch your own back. You can't, if you're trying to fight from behind and in front, you're going to be completely ineffective. You're going to be hamstrung and hobbled between your two opinions. There's a need for disciples in the body of Christ. There is a definite need for disciples in the body of Christ. Everything that God is doing, He's doing through His Spirit, acting through people. The people that God is going to be able to use, the ones that the Holy Spirit are going to be able to use, are going to be those that have submitted themselves 
to the word, that have committed themselves to the vision of the ministry, that have learned to be disciples. If you can imagine Jesus Christ, he was one man teaching for a span of three years. And he had gathered around him 12 intimates. But you know, those 12 intimates, when they gathered into the upper room, there were 120 people there that were all on one mind and on one accord. They were able to, to, to multiply and to spread out the word of God. And when Peter began to preach and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, 3,000 were saved in one day. What God is doing, he's, th he's doing through his people. He's doing through his disciples. There is a need for disciples. You know what? We love this place. We love this church. We love the shelter that it affords. We love the, the, the comfort and the protection that it affords. And we encourage all those to come in and to, and to take refuge under these wings. To take refuge in these walls. But God has need of disciples. He has need of those that are able to handle the word, that are able to apply the word in their life, that are able to go forth in power and to might and to do greater things. What's a disciple? A disciple is a learner. An apprentice, one whose allegiance is to the instruction and commitments of their teacher. A disciple is a learner. They're not someone that already knows it all. But it's a learner that is actively taking in the words of instruction. You know, woe unto you. Take heed to yourself when you feel like you already know it all. Like, oh, I, you know, I, I could teach that message. If I, you know what? Woe unto you. A disciple is a learner. They are constantly, constantly seeing new revelation, new illumination from the Word of God. He's speaking to you constantly and opening up the Scriptures and showing you those things. Even if, even if you've seen the same Scripture year after year after year after year, but now, now is the time when He is saying, I'm at the door and I'm knocking. You need to tell somebody that the love is extended towards them so that they can consider their current situation and they have the opportunity to turn towards me. So a disciple is a learner. They are an apprentice. You know, I love this, 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 uh, this, this term apprentice. What it is is someone that... that is able to do some of the things. An apprentice can do some of the things that a master can do, but maybe they don't always do them exactly the, the right way or, or with, with the same level of perfection or skill. Maybe, maybe an apprentice takes 12 hours to do what a master can do in one hour. But you know what? The apprentice has put his hands to the work. He's not afraid to put his hands and to make mistakes. He's not afraid to, to listen and to receive correction. He's not afraid to try. So a disciple is an apprentice. 
They're one whose allegiance is to the instruction and the commitments of the teacher. They're wearing, they're wearing the colors of the team. They know who they fight for and who fights for them. They're not ashamed to be identified with the group of people whose life is in the word. They're not trying to hide behind the world's trappings. They, they, they say, you know what? This is, this is who I am. This is the camp that I'm in. You can say what you want to say about me, but I know where my allegiance is. I know who I belong to, and I know who fights for me. We, ha- we need disciples in order for us to, to move forward in this dispensation. You know, disciples are not recruited. Disciples are not recruited. You never see Jesus going up to someone saying, you know what? I understand that, you know, you got these other things going on with your fishing boats and, um, you know, your, your, your other businesses, you know, your tax collecting business. But um, I just want you to know that, that uh, there are riches that you, you know, that you can't even imagine that they're, 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 I got a 401k plan and benefits. No, re- disciples are never recruited. Disciples are never. If, if you're looking for someone to come and tell you why you need to adjust your work schedule to be available to the work of God, you're going to be waiting a long time. Disciples are not recruited. We don't recruit disciples. If you're waiting to be recruited, you're going to be as those that that when a laborer would go out at the various hours, when, the, when the, 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 uh, the hirer would go out at the hours of the day, and, and he would find people that were idle, he says, well, come and work in the vineyard, come and work in the vineyard, come and work in the vineyard. You know, there were some that the, at the last, they said, well, you know, nobody, nobody's asked us. Yes, we want to yes, work. He didn't tell them, oh, this is what the, you know, you're going to receive this extra. They said, you know, whatever Whatever seems right. Whatever seems right, that's what we'll accept. If there, is there work to do? I don't, I don't need a title. I don't need to be promised a position. I don't need to know that I'm going to be inside of your, your, your merchant's guide so that I can extend my business contacts. Whatever, whatever seems right, whatever seems right, I'm willing to put my hands to the work. Disciples are not recruited. If you're waiting to be recruited, then you're going to remain idle all day. Disciples, they're those that are seeking after a standard. That's what separates a disciple from anyone else. A disciple is looking for, hungry for, thirsting after a standard. They say, you know what? I know that there's a purpose for my life. I know that there's an intention that God has for me. And I'm just, I just need a standard that I can press into. I just need a standard that I can press into. So we talk about disciple, the process of discipleship. First, it begins with personal redemption. Biblical discipleship, Christian discipleship. You, there's no way around it. I can't, you can't be born into it. 
You can't be grandfathered into it. It starts with personal redemption. That means your personal acceptance of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That Jesus is the Son of the living God. Go to John chapter 1. You know, as, as we talk about this, this model for discipleship, this process of discipleship, the way that you apply it to yourself and understand, you know, am I, have, am I progressing along this, this pro- am I in the process or, I'm, or am I outside of the process? Am I going some other way? It's considered, if a disciple is one that has accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, say, have I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Have I begun the process of discipleship? John chapter 1. This is what I love. It says, in John, this is John the baptizer, bear record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. He's talking about Jesus the Christ. And I knew him not, But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. And so we hear hear John's testimony that, that the Spirit descended and remained upon Jesus, that he was the Messiah. He was the one that was anointed, the only anointed. Verse 34, and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. In verse 35, again, the next day after John, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So a disciple is one that has is, that is heard that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. That they believe on Jesus for their salvation. It talks about the Holy Spirit descending upon Christ. We know that the believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. That the Holy Spirit is baptized with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit baptizes the believer into the body of Christ. That the Holy Spirit awakens, awakens within the believer their, their spirit that was dead because of sin, that was alienated from God, that it's a quickening spirit, that they are made alive. Go to John chapter 1. Just turn back a page. Verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. This is why the Spirit is required, because these things cannot be discerned. They can't be known in the natural. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Familial ties are not sufficient to bring forth the revelation of the gospel. Just because you love your nephew, that's not enough to bring salvation to them. 
they have to know that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. To those that believe on the name of Jesus, those does the Holy Spirit make alive on the inside. And then he places them into the body of Christ. The first step in the process of discipleship is that you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God. And I love the way that, that it's presented that you have to believe the witness of another man. You know, in times past and in divers ways, but that time is now past. That time is over with. Right now, today, if you're going to believe, you're going to have to believe the witness of another man. That Jesus is the Christ. A disciple is able to humble themselves. The next step in the process, a disciple is able to humble themselves. They're able to submit themselves to teaching because they have first humbled themselves to the word. Unless you have first made yourself low and submitted yourself into saying that all that is written in the word of God all that is opened up to me, in spite of how I feel about it or how uncomfortable it makes me, in spite of what it says about my traditions and my ways, that I'm going to humble myself to the Word. Whatever the Word says, that I will do. What the Word says, that's what I'm going to hold on to. That's what I'm going to cling to. You'll never, you will never be able to follow teachings. You'll never be able to follow the teachings of someone else if you have not first humbled yourself to the Word. So a disciple has humbled themselves first to the Word. And because of that, they can submit themselves to teaching. John chapter 1, verse 38. It says, Then Jesus turned and saw them following Jesus saw these men that were following after him. And I love, I love the way that Jesus asked these questions. He, he said unto them, what seek ye? What are you looking for? I'm not, I'm not going to offer you anything. I'm not, I'm not making any promises to you. I, what are you looking for? What are you after? What are you hungry for? What are you desiring? What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi. That is to say, being interpreted, Master. Where dwellest thou? They said, Master, where do you live? Where do you abide? Where are you replenished? Where are you refreshed? Where dwellest thou? When we talk about humility, it's, a, it's about making yourself low. It's about bowing down. 
putting aside your personal positions and your arguments in favor of the will of God. These, these disciples, they didn't come to Jesus saying, this is what we want from you. Even though he asked them, what are you looking for? That was their per- say, we want to be healed. We want to be, we want to be this. We want to be that. We like a Tesla and we like a big house and not like a spouse and not like, you know, a husband, not like three children. They said, where do you abide? Where are you refreshed? Where are you replenished? A disciple was able to make themselves, they were able to put aside their own positions, their own arguments in favor of the will of God. They said, we want to know how can we be with you? How can we be united with you? How can we be one with you? When we talk about the humble mind, that's a quiet mind. It's not full of confusions. In arguings. It's not saying, well, but, you know, if this, then that. No. The humble mind is it's a quiet mind. Now, don't get, it, don't get it mistaken. The humble mind is not a passive mind. It's not a non-active mind. It's not an idle mind. An humble mind is one, if you can imagine, someone that's prepared for any assignment. They're ready for anything. The bag is in the trunk. Just say the word and I I can go. If you need me to to preach to the congregation or to the children, whatever it is that you need, I'm available. If you need me to, to pass out communion elements or to drive the van, I'm available. Whatever it is, I'm prepared for anything. If you need someone to sweep and to clean up, I can do that. I can do that. If you need somebody to make flowers all afternoon, I'm here for that. Just tell me what it is that you need, God. What is it that you need that your kingdom can be declared That your glory can go forth. And I'm available for that. For your purpose, anything. Anything. Some people might invite me to a a movie or to a game. You know, I'm kind of tired. I can't do that. But if God says, God, you know, I need you to do this. Okay, I can do that. I, I can do that. If it's your purpose, your design... I may not be available in a natural for natural things, but for your purpose and for your design, I'll make myself available. I'll inconvenience myself. I'll change travel plans so that I can be available for your service, for your work. An humble mind is prepared to go in any direction. They're not they're not fixed. They're not set in their ways. Whatever it is you say that you need, I'm willing to do that. Because I've made myself low so that I can serve the greater one. We see that a disciple places themselves in the position so that they can be taught. They didn't command Jesus to come to their house. 
They said, Jesus, where do you live? Where dwellest thou? Where do you live? So that these two disciples that, that are coming to, um, to Jesus after John has declared that this is the Christ, the Son of God. You know, one of them is, is Andrew. And Andrew, he goes and he finds his brother, Peter. The same Peter that we talked about later that ministered and 3,000 were saved. You, you know, they don't talk a lot about Andrew in the scriptures. He doesn't have a, a, a big name, a headliner name. But it was Andrew's testimony, it was Andrew's witness that brought Peter into the fellowship, that brought him into the union. You know what? Andrew wasn't looking to be world-renowned and world-famous. He wasn't looking for his own glory. He was just looking for a standard. He was hungry for righteousness. He was looking for the Savior that was promised. And it's all that mattered to him. So Andrew, he brings his brother Peter. And Peter is also seeking after the Messiah, the anointed one. You know, a disciple is able to recognize the standard of God in the man of God and follow that example. In the process of discipleship, you have to be able to recognize the standard of God in the man of God and follow that example. John chapter 1, verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find a Philip and said unto him, Follow me. That's all he had to say to Philip. And Philip went and found another, and they followed after Jesus. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Just real quickly, verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. A disciple has to be able to recognize the standard of God in God's man and follow that example. You know, a disciple has to move past indecision. A disciple has to move past questions and doubtings. They have to move past excuses. Well, you know, if we had this or if we had that, or if we were in this place, or if we were in that place, or if we had this kind of a ministry, or if we had that kind of a ministry, you know, I'm really uh, only good with children. Or I was actually only called to, you know, minister to, uh, to, to, um, to men or to women or in the prisons or to the sick. I can only, I can only, I can only. No, a, a disciple has humbled themselves. 
whatever you need me to do. Wherever you need me to do it. I'm not stuck. I'm not stuck behind these microphones. You need me to knock on doors, I can knock on doors. That's not a problem for me. I'm not stuck behind this pulpit. You need me sweeping this floor, I can sweep this floor. That's not a problem for me. A a disciple, they moved past their indecision. Go to John chapter 14. This Philip that, that said that he would follow Jesus, that the very same Philip, John chapter 14. Jesus had to show him some love. You know who the Lord chastens and corrects. That that means that he loves you. That means that he loves you. When you say what's in your heart, instead of trying to hide it, when you express what you really think, instead of trying to cover it up, then the Lord says, well, you know what? Let me correct that thinking. Let me correct that, that thing that you, that you are expressing because that's not actually how it is. John chapter 14. Philip said unto the Lord, Lord, show us the Father and it will be sufficient to us. After all this time of following Jesus, just show us this one last thing. And that's all we need. Just show us this one last thing. And Jesus said, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me? Haven't you seen the Father in me? Philip, he that have seen me, have seen the Father. And thou sayest, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? He came right back at him. How are you going to say, show us the Father, if you've seen me? I'm walking after the example that I've seen. I'm walking after the pattern that has been set for me. How are you going to say, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Let's go back to step one of the process. Do you not believe that Christ is the Son of God? He says, let, let me, let me, let's check all the way back. This question is coming out. You know, whenever you get fused, get confused in the Lord, and you're not quite sure where to go, go back to step one. Go back to step one. Believest thou not that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Did you not believe that? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very works sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. You know, Philip, he didn't have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of him. This is before the day of Pentecost. You know, but we don't have any excuse. 
We are without excuse. We're without excuse. As a disciple, you have to move past your questions and your indecisions of saying, Lord, show me a sign. You know, it's a wicked and perverse generation that, 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 that chases after signs and wonders. Believe the Word of God. And if you don't believe the Word of God, believe the manifestation of God in the lives of His people. You know, in order for us to be credible witnesses, your testimony has to stand up to close examination. We talked about this before. That your testimony has to be has to stand up to close examination. An examination of the words that you speak. Are you saying the same thing that Christ said? Are you saying the same things that are in the Scriptures? Are you speaking those Scriptures in context? Or are you bending the Scriptures to suit your own needs? Examine the works have you put your hands to what God has called you to put your hands to? Are you showing benevolence to the, to the widowed and to the orphans? Are you showing forth love to your, to your fellow mankind? Or are you heaping glory unto yourself? When people give praise, is that praise directed to the Father or is it directed to an individual? Is it directed to you? Is it directed to your organization? Is it directed to your, your favorite minister, your favorite singer, your favorite church? Are you giving praises to God? Or are you heaping praises on those things that are temporal, those things that are natural? Are you saying, God forbid, you're not saying the church of the living water can save you, are you? Jesus is the Christ. Jesus, it, Him through Christ alone are we saved. Through Christ alone are we saved. When people come in here, we don't say that there's any magic in these walls. There's no magic in these walls. The only thing that's in these walls is this is where the Word of God is proclaimed. And those that would believe the Word, their lives will be changed. Their lives will be altered forever. The word says that he that believeth on me shall do greater works than these. So if I'm not being effective, is it the teaching or is it my believing? The promise is that greater works than these, that the disciples would be able to do greater works than these. And so if I'm not being effective, is, is it the teaching or is it my believing? Stay in John 14, but go down to verse 20. It says, At that day ye shall know Can't, I can't do you guys like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go to verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while. 
and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He's saying that there's a, there's a promise of total redemption of this body. But just so that you know, there's an earnest of that. There's a deposit that's placed in the believer. It's called the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. You know, God promised us, he says that, you know, what the end is going to be, the end is going to be beyond what you can even imagine. But he says, guess what? Right now, right now, I'm willing to manifest myself in you by my spirit to my disciples. I'm willing to make known. So my belief is seen in how I keep the commandments. My belief is seen in how I love. Am I doing just the bare minimum? Am I, am I following the rules and just staying right, right next to the line? Right on the edge. Right on the edge. You know, it's not X-rated, but it's TVMA. Just right on the, right on the edge. Right on the edge. It's not everything, but it's most of it. In fact, there's so much of it that if somebody was on the outside considering my witness and my testimony, they might be confused and might not even know that I'm a disciple, that I'm a believer. I'm one that has held myself to the word. My belief is seen in how I keep the commandments. We say that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. With all that is within us, with all of our reasonings, with every, every imagination, is pressing towards the presence of God. Every thought, every idea is pressing towards the presence of God. You know, it's good that you believe at one point in time. But the question is, is are you still believing? That's what the concern is. It's good that you believe at one point in time. And I'm, I'm not going to argue that you believe at one point in time. I'm not going back to that 14-year-old back in Sunday school. I'm not going back to that 9-year-old. No, no. Why? What would be the point? I'm not going back to that 20-year-old on the college campus. No. No. You're 40 now. 40 plus. 50 plus. It's not that you believe, but are you still believing? You ask yourself, does my lifestyle reflect my continued belief that my salvation is in Christ alone? That it's only by His work 
that I have redemption, that I have access to the Father. Has my love stopped short? It's gone this far and it can't go any further. God, I said, I said I loved you. And then my wife went away. My wife went astray. I said I loved you. And my children, they seem as though that they're lost to me. I did my best and gave my all. And they took my solo away. Lord, Lord, Lord. I've been standing in this corner for 10 years. And now they want to move me up to the front. What's up with that? I love that corner. This is the seat that I always sit in. I can hear good from this seat. I can see good from this seat. The temperature is just right in this seat. But they want me to move over to here? I, I don't know. You know, they, they don't look like I look. They don't sing the same songs that we sing. What, what's that all about? That kind of sounds like rock and roll. I want some down-home gospel. Has my love stopped? Sure. I've given all I can give. I don't have any more to give. I'm, I'm tired of giving. Why do they keep begging? Why do they keep begging? They should already have it. Somebody else can cover it. Outcome. But, you know, my children have to make their own decisions. I have to trust that they will find their own way. You know, we love our children so much. I would, you know, God, God loves them more. We love our children, so God loves them more. We love them so much that we won't constrain them. That we won't rein them in. That we won't limit their options. That we won't teach them early. Correct them early. That it's only what you do for Christ that matters. That I don't care how 
as long as I know that you're serving in this local church. That I would rather you clean the toilets in the church than be making $100,000 in Santa Clara. Because I trust in the Lord my God. And I trust in His purpose for your life. And I know that His purpose is here. And if you are not available, you can't be a disciple. Have I stopped short based on my perceptions, based on my values? Well, my parents let me go across the country and, you know, follow my own pathway. I feel like I owe it to my... You know what? Just because he's long-suffering, just because he's long-suffering, the return trip to Bethel... It's not guaranteed. The return trip to Bethel, it's not guaranteed. And what's it going to profit you to see that your children have gained the world, that they've lost their souls? What would you give in exchange what championship ring would you give in exchange? What medals would you give in exchange? What dollar amount would you give in exchange? I know it says for your soul, but what would you give in exchange for their soul? If we knew then what we knew now, what we know what we know now, what we would have done. But the warning is being is going forth. The warning is going forth. The warning is going forth. Is the grace of God abounding in my life? As demonstrated by the love that I show to others. Is it, is it still just my circle? Or am I constantly, am I constantly reaching outside of my comfort zone to do the thing as an apprentice, even though I can't quite, I can't quite get it like the master, but I'm trying. I, I, it takes me a little bit longer to do it, but I, I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah, I know others can, you know, but I've submitted myself to the discipleship. I've submitted myself to the Word. My allegiance is to the Word. Your continued belief, it's seen in how you continue to love. Go to John 17. This is where we started 
We said John 17, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, and we said before that whenever you hear that you hear Christ saying that he gave something, that he gave something, he gave something, what did he give? He gave the Holy Spirit. Whenever you hear Christ say that he gave something, just know that what he gave was the Holy Spirit. Living inside of the believer, manifesting the glory of God. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. He says, my will, Christ is saying his will is the same as the Father's will. That those that believe on him, that believe on him, should be made to stand again in the last day. That they should behold the glory of the Son. Even as the Lord has sacrificed him before the foundation of the world to bring it to pass. And so consider Jesus' prayer. He's saying that they may be one, that we would be united, that the world may believe, that they may be made perfect, that we would be made perfect. And this is the finished work of Christ. That he offers the possibility of greater works to the believer. You know, the word may is not the same as will. It's not the same as shall. It says that there is the possibility. There is the potential. Now, the potential wasn't even there before. But there is the possibility. There is the potential for greater works to be performed in the believer. How is that? If they believe. If they believe. If they humble themselves. If they humble themselves to the word. And as they have humbled themselves to the word. That they then submit themselves to the teaching. You know it's good for us to say that we have to submit and to obey. We don't always understand, well, how does that work? How, how is that supposed to happen? I have to make myself low to the word of no reputation to the word. And as I make myself low, as I make myself weak, as I get out of my own strength, 
Then I am made strong in the Lord. Why, why are disciples needed? Consider that everything that God is doing, He's doing through His people. He's doing, doing through those that believe. If Noah hadn't been a disciple, his family would not have been saved. If Abraham had not, a bit, had not been a disciple, he would not be the father of many nations. He would not be the father of those that believe by faith because Abraham submitted himself to what God spoke to him, even though he didn't see it. But he ordered his life and he instructed his entire household after the word of God. And it wasn't just for a season. It wasn't just for a moment. He carried that instruction out all the way until the end of his days. And he was anticipating and hoping even into his last day. If Sarah had not recognized the righteousness in Abraham and had not submitted herself to that example, she would not have been able to conceive, to receive strength to conceive Isaac. Consider all these people of old. And these are people that did not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. They allowed themselves to go through tortures, to live in tents, to live in caves, looking forward to a better hope and a better promise. But we have no excuse. We have received a foretaste, a fore, we have received an advance, a sampler. They might have been able to smell the aromas coming out of the kitchen, but they, 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 they only had what was spoken. But we, we've got a, we got a, we got the earnest of the Spirit living inside of us, living inside of us, the quickening. They had to come into a, a designated place and put animals and blood. And fire, in hopes, in hopes that their prayers would ascend to God. We lift up our hands. We give glory to God with the fruit of our lips. Sacrifices of praise continuously to His name. Greater works, greater works should be seen. In those that believe. In those that have attached themselves to the word of God. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.